Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Taylor Radio. In this episode, I am going to go pretty heavy into some things. Uh, One of them is going to be the woke ideology, how wokeism is going to be used to twist the amendments of our constitution to take away people's land and property. Uh, Then I'm going to go into how the Cultural Revolution has many parallels with the current Cultural Revolution in the United States. Um, And this is based on some new reading that I've been doing. So take a listen. You're going to learn about the Chinese Cultural Revolution. You're going to learn about the American Cultural Revolution and more. I also talk a little bit about Hunter Biden and some other fun stuff. All right, let's jump into this shit show, shall we? Pardon the alliteration there. Actually, not really. So, I want to talk about James Lindsay. I've discussed James Lindsay before. James Lindsay is a, uh, he's an interesting dude who has, he has like a whole dictionary on woke terms. And he is a fighter of wokeism. So for those of you who aren't aware of what being woke is or wokeism, it's a mind virus. It is a parasite of thinking. It is a uh, mental handicap that makes you see all issues. All issues in the world are related to racial divides. They're related to uh, white supremacy. Everything in the world, every problem in the world is reduced to white supremacy. And it's kind of a strange mixture of Marxism and postmodern thinking. Um, And there's lots of things tied up in wokeism. Lots of things. So uh, the Marxist side of wokeism believes that there's the oppressed and the oppressors, and that the oppressors are white males. The oppressed are all mart quote unquote quote unquote marginalized peoples in especially the United States and Europe like i don't really hear them talking about asia you know like oh the warlords in africa are subject to white supremacy or the you know the chinese communist party is run by white supremacists yeah i don't know Anyway, it's mostly relegated to uh, Western countries like the U.S., Canada, certain parts of Europe. This is where this ideology takes hold. So the Marxist types are like, ah, it's the oppressed versus the oppressor. And then you've got other types in other parts of the world where, um, like in the United States, these wokists, these uh, woke uh, mental retards, do believe that... Um, everything in the United States is because of white supremacism and stole and everything was stolen. So they say things like, oh, you know, we can't celebrate Columbus Day because Columbus was a murderer. He killed all these people. Now, I would like to learn more about Columbus. I'm sure there's more nuance than that. I've heard I have heard multiple stories from people who have supposedly read his memoirs or his writings, and it looks more like Columbus didn't do as much killing as the people that came after Columbus. Uh, but to dispel a couple things here, no, the peoples of uh, West, you know, people that came from Europe did not give the Native Americans on purpose diseased small pox blankets and the biggest 
re the biggest way you can refute this stupid hypothesis is to point out the fact that the germ theory of disease was not even uh, hypothesized until, what was it, the 1800s? Up until then, people had no real idea how diseases spread. I mean, hence why the plague killed so many people back in medieval Europe. You think they understood, oh, if, uh, oh, we're going to put smallpox on these blankets, we're going to, what are they going to do, you know, rub them around on somebody and say, okay, now handle these, and we're going to bring these over to the Native Americans in these contained plastic bags so we don't get infected, and then we're going to give the smallpox blankets to the Native Americans who will all die. No, probably not. It probably had to do with how a lot of diseases spread today. But see, if you're stupid and you believe these things, then, yeah, pardon me if you do believe these things and you're trying to learn, but there's a lot of people who believe these types of hypotheses, um, these woke hypotheses about the West and about European travelers. And it's like, look, let's look at a more simpler explanation is that regardless if the Native Americans or the Indians, however you want to say it, were fighting or communicating or talking or getting along with the Europeans, they have both very different types of diseases. And by virtue of them coming in contact with each other, they spread bacteria back and forth to each other. And it just so happens that the kind of bacteria or viruses that the Europeans carried over with them happened to kill a lot more of the Native Americans than the other way around. Now, the, the, the Europeans had other types of problems like learning how to survive on the land, but in terms of uh, bacterial and virus immunity, they were better able to handle that probably because of where they were situated. Lots of people living on top of each other in European cities. Europe was, uh, you know, they had trade through different parts of the world like North Africa, the Middle East, um, you know, Central Asia, these parts, these areas came in contact with people in Europe. Now, what is James Lindsay discussing? James Lindsay recently talked about how the woke police are using the idea of stolen land. They're trying to say that since the land, or this is his idea, that they are going to try to take this land part of attack. They're going to say, since the American territory was stolen from Native Americans, all of it was stolen, all property rights are therefore illegitimate. Illegitimate. Right? So, let's take a look here. He had a very good thread that I have saved that I wanted to go through for a second. Um, so, he talks about... Where is it? Come on, come on. It was... Really good. And he's discussing how the Fourth Amendment is going to be used or how it's going to be invalidated. Okay, so he discusses it here. So here's how Lindsay, James Lindsay, starts his thing. He says, as I keep trying to tell you, critical theories don't take over at the level of leadership. He's talking about critical, uh, critical race theory. Um, they take over at the level of administrative bureaucracies. This is true in our schools, and it will be true in our government. Biden and Harris's views are irrelevant except on this. I don't really have the slightest idea what Kamala Harris what Kamala Harris's politics are beyond being obviously and wholly unpopular. 
Biden being an old guard Democrat is irrelevant. Will they pack the court? Will they greenlight more administrative bureaucracy? Those are what matter. Critical social justice theory is subversive and passive-aggressive. It's also administrative, put into application by busybodies who like to go to meetings and control other people with their little signs and policies. The head is either permissive to this or resistant to it. Woke ideology will not try to take over the U.S. government, laws, and constitution in a direct coup. It will instead work its way in and use administrative policy and clever redefinitions, concepts, and manipulations to subvert the meaning of things until they have control. This is exactly what we're seeing, guys. This is exactly what we've seen um, throughout the United States and other parts of the world. We've seen this especially in the universities of the United States. And we've also seen it within the corporate uh, corporate world as well. And one of the biggest one of the biggest impacts it's had is, for example, on the term racism, right? And saying that racism is what is it? Power plus plus prejudice. Therefore, if a quote unquote group, which is so cra- I really can't get away from the fact that you are defining individuals based on their group identity. So it's like if some white dude who's poor living in the ghetto, uh, because he's white, he is perceived as having more power than a wealthy black dude who might be like running some local office in his city crazy. Anyway, uh, we can see that how they subvert meanings like racism and how they're trying to make racism a public health emergency. Do you see how that works? So what they do is they change the definition of racism. Then they talk about how racism is everywhere. Systemic racism is everywhere. Then they want to use the existing bureaucracies to enforce some kind of law or regulation based on the fact that racism is now a public health emergency. This is just an example, a real example. Here's uh, what he he continues. One of the easiest light bulb moments about this subversion is the attempt to subvert the Fourth Amendment's protection against illegal search and seizure, useful for neo-communists to undo. If we all live on stolen land and used it to make stolen wealth, it's not protected. The Fourth Amendment can stay completely intact exactly as it is written, and yet it won't apply to anything beyond what the administrative caste decides it applies to, which will all be determined by the usual power dynamics double standards. So what I take he means from this is that if everything is uh, on quote-unquote stolen land, it's like having a redefinition of the word racism, right? Before, racism was, hey, if you're treating someone badly because you don't like the color of their skin, now you're racist just because you're white or just because you want the system to exist because you're supporting a quote-unquote racist system. So, like that, we have the Fourth Amendment is going to be used to be twisted. So instead of saying that the police or the government cannot seize your land, they'll say, well, actually, this was never your land. This was some Native American tribe's land, um, you know, 500 years ago. So it's not yours. And actually, the money or the property that you've derived from this or the profits or whatever thereof are not protected either. So they'll use the Fourth Amendment. They'll say, look, we don't have to get rid of the Fourth Amendment. We will just change the definitions of what uh, of what the land is. And we'll say, okay, well, this isn't protected land. 
Simple as that. He continues, Fifth Amendment protections against being a witness against oneself and for due process of law can be subverted and hollowed in similarly. He continues, If hate crimes are made a hate crime, if hate, cri- if hate crimes are made a crime and hate is systemic, then the presumption is of guilt, not innocence. Silence is complicity and violence. Under a woke reinterpretation, if fully implemented, to plead the fifth will be to confess if one is on the wrong side of the power dynamics double standard and a guaranteed right otherwise. Denial is one of the first symptoms of white supremacy, they say. Hmm, this one's a little bit more hard to take apart. Um, But it looks like what he's trying to say here. Let's go through that one more time. Fifth Amendment protections against uh, a witness, being a witness against oneself and for due process of law can be subverted. Uh, If hate crimes are made a crime and hate is systemic, then the presumption is of guilt, not innocence. So I presume what he means is, is that since the system is automatically racist, that if you commit a crime, if if it's considered a quote-unquote hate crime, like if somebody gets killed and they're black, you're automatically considered to have killed them because of their black. Because the system is by default racist. You can't take racism, if you're white and you kill the guy because, um, you know, because he was stealing something from you, well... You are racist because you're white. You were born white. You were born racist. And so because of that, you're guilty of a hate crime. Now you have to, you're automatically considered guilty because you're considered part of systemic oppression against black people. Next, he continues, the First Amendment protections of speech will be of little use because they will move the location of accountability away from the government into the mobs that are certain that are their actual enforcers. The government can refrain from infringing upon speech if one cannot safely speak. This is very critical, very important. This is what we're seeing currently. So, uh, local governments in, say, Portland or Seattle or in New York, they don't have to arrest people for saying things they don't like. Uh, you know, people at the city council or at the local level, they don't have to make laws to arrest conservatives. They don't have to make laws to arrest Trump supporters. All they have to do is not let the cops defend innocent citizens who are voicing their First Amendment rights, who are saying who they politically support, who are saying what they support in terms of, um, you know, culture and law, things like this. This is what he's discussing. And this is what we're already seeing. So the government doesn't have to take away your First Amendment right. It just has to not enforce protection for you. And uh, it's very interesting, actually. We just saw in France, um, in France, there is a case where a Islamic, it looks like a jihadist, killed and beheaded a French professor history professor who was giving a lesson on freedom of speech and used the Charlie Hebdo drawings of Muhammad to make his point. So uh, Islamists showed up and uh, killed him and cut off his head. And, you know, that's a whole nother subject. This is one reason why, I mean, it's, it's very, you know, the West is in trouble. The West is certainly in trouble uh, because this is an 
many different places across Europe and the United States. This is the territory we're on. Um, if you want to have free speech, if you want to have freedom of speech, freedom of expression, there are certain groups of people that will not let you do that. They will not let you do that. And, and religious fundamentalists are one of those. Right? How many times have you heard in the last 50 years of Christians um, stabbing people to death and cutting off their heads because they talked shit about Jesus? Never. You don't ever hear about that. Okay, so uh, let's go ahead and continue. Ta speaking of the mob, I want to discuss the Chinese Cultural Revolution because I have been learning a lot, a lot about this. I'm currently listening to an audiobook. It's a memoir of a girl that went through the Chinese Cultural Revolution. And, um, you know, I wanted to expand my mind, expand my understanding of how different, uh, not just communist movements, but how these different communist movements have come to power and how you know they always end up in dictatorships that's the thing is that communism promises a quote-unquote dictatorship by the proletariat by like the working class but really it's just one guy or a small group of people that are going to rule over everyone else now what happens is um what happens is they once they get into power, they take over. But how do they get into power? How do they convince so many people to go along with what they're doing? Well, listening to this, I've been able to draw... There's an interesting... There's many parallels between what happened in the Cultural Revolution in China and what have, is happening in the United States and the Western world. I've talked about this before, but now, you know, getting a little bit more deeper into it, it's very interesting. What I want to talk about here is the concept of the Four Olds. The Four Olds is a, uh, a concept that Mao came up with that he wanted to abolish in China, and it was getting rid of old habits, old ideas, old customs, and old, um, what was it, old, old ideas, customs, culture, and habits of mind. Uh, old ideas, customs, culture, and habits of mind. Okay? And so, this encompasses every part of life. And what they said was that you, we have to get rid of all these old ideas, customs, cultures, and habits of mind to usher in new China. Now, what does that mean? Old ideas. You might think, oh, well, that's, that's not a problem until you realize that your whole entire society is based on customs and cultures from hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years ago that have just morphed over time. And I mean, a great example that and that's what's happening in the United States. But let me continue with China. So um, <clears throat> all types of old dress, like the clothes that people used to wear, the old style of Chinese writing, uh, which is traditional characters. Um, so traditional Chinese writing, traditional Chinese dress, styles of entertainment, songs, all of that, all of that was considered Old ideas, old cultures, old habits of mind. Now, habits of mind is also talking about um, 
also talking about their, not religious, but their spiritual norms. So in China, and uh, there's a lot of other Asian cultures that are very similar to this, and actually around the world, but there's a lot of emphasis placed on getting favor uh, from luck. Right? Like you go through certain customs, like you don't sweep the floor on the spring new year, on the Chinese new year, because you don't want to sweep the luck out of the house or the good fortune out of the house. There's lots of rituals and things that people have performed in Chinese culture for thousands of years. So what Mao did is he tried to abolish that. He tried to get rid of that. And he was able to convince the Red Guard, which was, um, it was Many people, it was young It was young people in high school and college, also people that were older, and they basically went around the whole country of China, rampaging through the cities and towns and trying to destroy as much of the four olds as possible. And anytime somebody, and it's very, very telling, in this book, in this memoir, the girl describes how basically everybody was getting in trouble. Every time, because Chinese culture, and this is the same thing we come across in the United States now, because you cannot easily separate out your culture from modern day fads and trends, many things that people say and believe and do are based on things we've done for a long time. So what happened is people that were in the Red Guard would, um, or classmates that were trying to attack each other, one of them would accuse them of saying something that was a quote-unquote four-old, which could get them in trouble. Maybe they uh, made a joke, and the joke was a traditional type of joke which compared somebody to some kind of animal or whatever. And then somebody would respond and go, ah, that's a four-old. You can't say that. And then five minutes later, that person would say something which was four-olds. Four olds, remember, it's anything from traditional Chinese culture, which is obviously a part of their everyday lives up until Mao tries to destroy it. So lots of things in their in their lexicon, their day-to-day vocabulary, uh, their day-to-day habits and customs were rooted in these older traditional ideas. And so people were constantly telling on each other. They were constantly saying, oh, you said this, that's a four-olds, you're in trouble. Oh, you did that, that's four-olds, you're in trouble. Because basically what Mao was trying to do was to destroy the entire cultural foundation of China. Very, very uh, sociopathic. I cannot believe that anyone could support this guy. Now, let's fast forward to today in the United States. Very, very similar, right? If you want the Constitution, if you like the First Amendment, Second Amendment, Third Amendment, Fourth Amendment, you know, all 20, what is it, 27 amendments, then you are a white supremacist. It's like a, it's like calling somebody four olds. It's like accusing somebody of four olds. You're saying is, oh, you're a white supremacist. You need to, um, you need to go through a quote unquote struggle session to denounce your white supremacy, which is what they used to do in China when somebody was accused of trying to be a rightist. Uh, that's what they called uh, people that were reactionaries. They weren't revolutionary. They were reactionary. They would. Or if they were a black family, black, not actually the color of their skin, but if they were a banned family, like if their family were capitalists, then they were attacked. So what happened was the um, 
these families in China, the people that were accused of being reactionaries, they didn't support the revolution, they would have to go through struggle sessions where people would physically beat them, they would be yelled at by their co-workers and colleagues, um, and they would be forced to walk around the streets wearing uh, certain types of, um, of signs and uniforms, denouncing themselves and their capitalist ideas or their rightist ideas. And so that's what happened in China. Similarly, we see that occurring in the United States. So one thing is the um, the white supremacy and historical eraser. So what they try to say is everything that is uh, everything that is part of our society must be erased because it is evil. Right. So that's the history. That's the customs. It's almost like the exact same exact same methods. It's almost like the same strategy that Mao used, which is we have to get rid of the old customs, ideas, habits, and culture. And that's what they're trying to do, right? It's like they're trying to get rid of customs and culture like gender norms. You know, okay, it's cool. We can have some progressive ideas about gender, but the fact that now we're trying to say there's no such thing as gender, that's an example of trying to erase custom, right? Erase the ideas of habit. That is, erase ideas such as, oh, the rule of law. Oh, I believe in freedom of speech. Oh, I think that we should tolerate uh, some different kinds of ideas. No, that has to be done with. No longer can we live in a liberalist society where people of different ideas and backgrounds can live together. That cannot be tolerated anymore. Right. Another example is, like I said, law, the Constitution, things like this, capitalism. These are considered four olds. In the new social justice woke ideology, the white supremacist is the four olds of China during the Maoist Cultural Revolution. It's the same thing. And in the uh, Maoist Cultural Revolution, they would take down statues, they would take down signs of people <clears throat> of any uh, business, restaurant, supermarket that had anything which referenced four olds. So if somebody had a, a great example in the book is there's a uh, very, there's a supermarket that's been around for, it's not a supermarket, it's like a big market. It's called Prosperity Market. It's been around for 30 years doing very successful. So what they do is a bunch of locals attack the market and they take down the sign and they destroy the sign because prosperity is related to uh, either, it's I believe they related to a capitalist idea and all capitalist ideas are about exploiting workers, and so therefore it all has to be destroyed. Right? It sounds very similar to what we're going through today. And so this is why we cannot allow these things to continue. We cannot allow these things to continue. Now, I want to talk about people taking down statues and stuff for a very for a quick second. And I would have to say that we must, in my opinion, we cannot allow a mob to take away a statue or to take away a memorial, no matter some of the negative connotations behind it. We cannot. Here's why. Because we have to look at all the interpretations of what people are saying. We have to look at why was this statue put up? When was it put up? There needs to be legitimate discussion about these statues and what other solutions can we have done.
going around with a mob and just taking down things that are supposedly quote-unquote white supremacists is not how you do things in a society that wants to progress. Now, that's also part of the situation here is that we don't want to progress. As a society, uh, the radical left-wingers, they don't want to progress. They want to, move, they want to take us out of where we've been going culturally, technologically, socially. They want to put us in a whole new category of uh, dictatorship uh, under the guise of utopia. So anyway, it's, um, remember this. Remember this. During the Maoist Revolution, it was the four olds. You have to get rid of old uh, ideas, cultures, habits of the mind, and traditions. Okay? All these things have to be gone. All these things have to be gone. That is what they're trying to do in the United States today. So if we want to survive this, we have to continue to fight these ideas. What is interesting about this was these mobs of Red Guards in China, would go to people's houses. They would ransack their house and take everything out of their house that was considered to be the four olds. So any kind of traditional calligraphy, um, any kind, anything related to capitalism, anything related to traditional garb, all of it was taken out of people's houses and stolen from them. And we are getting, we're not there yet in the United States, but if we let these mobs continue to run through neighborhoods, it wouldn't be a, um, we wouldn't be too far off, I would say. Now, the last thing I want to discuss is this Hunter Biden situation. Um, I am not too well versed in it. Part of my problem is that I already know who I'm voting for. You know, I'm already voting for Trump. And so, you know, what is there, what is there to say about that? Um... Hunter Biden, apparently a bunch of emails and correspondence were found that link him. Two things that I saw, they link him to a Ukraine company called Burisma and a Chinese energy company where it looks like he was uh, getting lots of money and somehow using his father's connections uh, in order to get in order to be on the boards of these companies and to uh, pull in tens of thousands of dollars a month, quote-unquote, working for or with these companies. So, you know, this is the October surprise, right? Uh, Rudy Giuliani's been on TV releasing these. Um, and I want to say this, I'm not surprised, right? Is anybody surprised that Joe Biden is corrupt, right? Is anybody surprised? I mean, I don't even think he knows where he's at right now. But who is surprised? You know, I'm convinced that a lot of politicians are in this kind of a situation where they've done a lot of shady things um, under the table to, you know, enrich themselves. But man, after all the Russian collusion hoax that went on and now this where uh, Hunter Biden has his correspondence released of him dealing with um, various companies around the world that it looks like his father was involved in him with. Man, it's crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. So I guess one last thing I do want to discuss is psychology. I think that psychology is part of the reason for why, for why there is um, this woke movement going on. And I'm going to discuss here. So pop psychology, 
pop psychology has ruined a lot of people's minds, I think. A lot of people are obsessed with trauma. And I think that um, that is enabling people to act stupid. People are trying to say that everything, and I think it has to do with the whole white supremacy thing too, is people are trying to say that white supremacy has caused so much trauma on people's lives that the society cannot recover, that people cannot recover. And I just think it's very damaging. Um, I think the idea of trauma causing problems in people's lives, well, obviously I think it's real. Look, I've listened to enough Dr. Drew, who I actually think is very intelligent and would listen to him on many different things. But on the psychology thing, the flaw in his thinking is obvious, right? I mean, I can't challenge him on a lot of stuff, but on this, I would challenge him on and say, look, how do you know that somebody's trauma is real or not? Because the stories that I hear about people is... They'll talk and they'll talk and they'll talk and they'll try to find out why somebody acts a certain way and they'll go, oh, it's because of trauma. You must have had this happen as a kid or this or blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, actually, maybe not. Like, maybe they don't remember. Our memories aren't that great. Who knows why somebody decided to start going crazy at some strange age? Who knows what they saw, what they did, how their biology is? Anyway... Uh, Maybe I'll have to go into that on another time. But I think this pop psychology world we're in where everybody's a mind reader, everybody blames all of their current troubles on on some weird upbringing that their parents did, which I'm not saying your parents don't affect you. They do heavily. But I think that's part of why some of these millennials are acting so crazy is they're blaming all of their failures, all of their problems on some kind of strange amorphous trauma they had as they were a kid. So therefore, it takes the it takes their behavior, the blame from their behavior is taken away from them. Their accountability is displaced somewhere else. That's what I think. Anyway, that's all I got for today. Uh, thank you for listening. Please spread the word, like, and subscribe. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram, Taylor Radio, YouTube, Taylor Stutch. Uh, Support the show, buy my merch. Thank you. Enjoy.